I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much product was being sourced overseas and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that were still making in Britain. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in the UK, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be telling the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and manufacturers and offering advice to those that want to make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Make It British podcast. On today's episode, I'm interviewing designer Catherine Hooker, who manufactures all of her wonderful tailoring, women's wear and menswear in the UK. In this episode, you'll find out all about how Catherine set up the business, having previously worked as an art director and knowing nothing about making fashion or textiles. What I really love about Catherine is that she had one idea right at the start and she stuck with it. She had something really simple. She made just one product and she made sure she made that work first before she expanded into doing other things, which I think is a lesson that so many people can learn. Some of the other takeaways that I got from this interview was the fact that she persevered very much as well with finding her perfect manufacturer and a manufacturer that was local and close to her. So she did that, as you'll hear, by using word of mouth and speaking to one tailor who then recommended her to someone else until she eventually found the man who is still making her clothes to this day. So she's been with the same manufacturer right from the start. And I think that is absolutely brilliant. One of the other tips that she gives here, which I'm always telling people, is that a member of her team is in the factory every single day. And they can do that, obviously, because the factory is local. And that's one of the reasons that she's able to do the bespoke and custom made products that she does for her customers. I hope you enjoy this interview with Catherine as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. Hello, Catherine. Thank you very much for being on the Make It British podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited about our chat today, actually, and learning more about your business. Yeah. Can you start by telling me a little bit of the background about Catherine Hooker and how it came about? Yes. Um, I, uh, the short version is that I um, wanted to change what I was doing with my work life. And I used to work in the film industry uh, in the art department, which does all the sets and, you know, it's oh. art department's responsible for doing all the sets. And, and it was a great, uh, it was great, but I, I just really wanted to be sort of in charge of my own thing. So I took about five years to really discover what I wanted to do. I'm, I'm a worker. I mean, I love to work. So to not love what I do was always kind of a problem. Um, so I traveled as much as I could and I stumbled across a, a village tailor in India that I, um, worked with to make me a coat that I had, I wanted a winter coat forever and couldn't find one that I liked. So the two of us sort of set about, um, making a coat for myself and I just completely fell in love with the, the with the process um, and it just sort of seemed to tick every box that I <clears throat> was looking for in terms of kind of, you know, satisfaction. And, uh, and I sort of leapt in, I, I, I juggled a couple of lives for about 18 months 
and um, and then in 2004, I did my last commercial. I was I had taken a step sort of sideways and was just working on commercials because they are sort of easier and you have more time off between jobs. Mm. And I'd been doing that for about five years, so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this is the last one I'm going to do. And from there, I just sort of just leapt in. So you had no background at all in um, sort of textiles or garment manufacturing. You weren't trained no. to make garments. No, I had no, no, no background in any aspect of it. I mean, I, I had no business background, no fashion, no retail, no fabric technology, no pattern cutting. <laughs> wow. No, nothing. I didn't know anything about being an employer, having a business account. I mean, the whole thing. I was completely just didn't know anything at all. So who um, did you who did you sell the first coat to? I sold the first coat to some friends because I went back to India after this first trip um, to really uh, perfect the pattern of the coat that I wanted. Um, about three weeks after I got back, I couldn't kind of make it work over here because I couldn't find the people. I was embarrassed. You know, everyone, my friends would kept saying, go to a fashion college and and you know, get an intern, you know, get a student to help you or something. I was just way too embarrassed. I thought they would laugh at me. So I went back to India and found this really lovely tailor again, and we perfected the shape of this coat, which took about two months because I really wanted to, um, really wanted to immerse myself in it. And uh, so he sent me back with a paper pattern. So we just made it and made it and made it and made it. I think I don't know how many times before I was happy with it, and I was basing it on a. On, a, on the cut of a coat that I'd bought um, years before, um, well, when I was about 18, actually, and I was tiny, and it was, I, I bought this coat in a junk shop in Jerusalem, which was, a, um, which was like an antique, young, sort of 14-year-old boy's Hasidic black silk coat that just happened to fit me absolutely perfectly. So I had worn this coat to death, and, um, and I loved it because it, had a, it, gave, it gave me a certain shape. You know, it really elongated me. Yeah. And, um, and so I was obsessed with these sort of high armholes that, 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 that give you a certain shape. And it's how coats used to be made, um, you know, in the old days when there was no such thing as mass manufacturing. Everybody had their things made for them. It just wasn't a question of money. Um, and so this just fascinated me. So I went, decided to go back to India and really perfect the cut of this coat, which took two months of just making and making and making and making out of local materials. And then... We made um, six coats of, out of material that I had taken back to India with me from Savile Row. It's, they were very British, nothing to do with Indian. They were sort of, there was nothing ethnic about them. They were very, very sort of British, the cut and the fabric. And, and I'd worked on a commercial where I needed to get tweed a few months before. And I was completely blown away by how beautiful these tweeds were. You know, you always think of tweed as sort of green with brown checks or whatever. Yeah. And there were all these amazing greys with purples and, you know, reds and ochres and just amazing things. So I went back with some tweed and um, I, uh, so I made these coats, went back to England, invited all my friends over and they bought them. So they started walking around because, you know, I, they bought them because I needed to pay for this rather extravagant trip all the way back there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought if I make six of them and sell five, keep one for myself, then I'll that'll at least pay for the flight, you know. So 
I so I did that and they started walking around. People said, Wow, I love your coat, where'd you get it? And they gave me them my number and, and it just sort of went from there. And when did you start making the coats in England rather than in India? Oh. Straight away, straight away. One of the things, one of the interesting things I learned was at first I was like, oh, this is so great. You know, I can have a, I can have a connection to India because who doesn't love India? And then the minute I started doing it, though, that, I mean, well, the minute I, I started working with this guy, I thought this is never going to work. There's no way I'm going to make them in India. I'm going to find somebody to make them in, in, in England. So I, so immediately. So after, after those, I came back with a suitcase full of those six codes. Um, I, I found somebody in, in London to make them. And what year, what year would that have been? That would have been uh, 2002 or three, three, I think. So I, met, I met the guy who makes them now, still makes them today. Oh, brilliant. So that was just as everyone else was deciding to make things offshore and you were determined to make them in London. Yes, absolutely. But again, I really had no clue what I was doing. I, I was following... What I wanted, there was no sort of like, oh, these are going to be British made or whatever. I, I, I like things made in, in England and London even because, because I like having a relationship with, with every person who's involved in the business. You know, I can't imagine not having, not, you know, jumping in the car and, and, and going to the, to, the, to the factory, the workshop to, to, you know, speak to the guys about this or that or whatever, a button or a buttonhole or, um, you know, that, that, that. I do that for myself, yeah. Um, but but also it does feel really good to 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 sort of be plugged in, you know, to to the to the economy in a in a small way to keep it all local. Um, for me, it is it, it worked well for me. And is everything made in London now? And as the yeah. business has grown, has the um, original tailor that you're working with expanded his business? No, he hasn't actually. Um, sort of the opposite. The way the way I found them was I um, I went to Southall, which is where all the sari fabrics where where you know it's, it's sort of the Hindu part of uh, London. Yeah. And because I used to buy all my sari fabrics for for films and stuff there, and I went to my supplier there and I said, "Do you know any tailors?" I still had this India thing, Indians, you know, in my mind because I thought they were good tailors. This guy was the guy in India was brilliant. So I went. And he said, oh, there's a guy around the corner who makes them. So I went to speak to him. And he was like a tailor in a sort of a basement somewhere that made things from start to finish. You know, that's how tailors work. They kind of, yeah. whereas a, a factory is like a production line. So I was like, oh, I don't, I don't really want that. I want, I like the idea of production and volume, but in a really high quality way. And when I say volume, when I say volume, I, I don't mean like thousands and thousands. So he said, well, you need to go over to the east end of London where all the clothing manufacturers are. So I said, okay, well, that's brilliant. Well, what is a clothing manufacturer? And he said, <laughs> well, and, and so I went back to my, my computer in London and in, in my flat and I, I Googled, you know, yellow pages, www. And printed all these pages out because in those days you printed everything out. I don't know if you remember that from two years ago. No, I'm not. Everything. <laughs> you printed everything. And I phoned the first guy and he said, I don't make coats, but there's a guy across the street that does. So I said, great. Went to see him. And started speaking to him. He just—he thought that I was just funny, you know, because there were thousands and thousands and thousands of coats coming out of this place, down a conveyor belt, and straight into the back of a lorry. And I just thought, oh, I love this. You know, I love 
I love production. I love harbors. I love things coming in and out, you know, like. Yeah, so do I. Masses, you know, but, but in a sort of, but not in a sort of automated way. There was something kind of human in a way about it, more human to me than, than the other. So, so I asked him to make me a few samples. It's still the same guy who's making them today. <clears throat> amazing. That's really amazing. amazing. It is amazing. And I think it's because I, I, I think it's because I had no knowledge I think a lot of people wouldn't have done it this way, but I I was very used to being thrown in the deep end on a film or a commercial or whatever, whatever, and and say you know and saying to myself, I just need to make this work with what I've got around me. So you kind of create little industries in a way when you're working on films, and then then you you close them down. It's a wrap, and you have some time off, and then you go on to the next one. So you're constantly having to sort of invent how to do things and. You're doing it on the fly and whatever with, with whatever you've got around you. So whatever makes sense in your kind of yeah. atmosphere around you. So um, I just went about it in the same way. And um, and have you not needed any other additional suppliers to that? So because as well as coats, you have other things in the Catherine yes, Hooks collection now, don't you? Yeah, they, I do. I have dresses and um, we use um, British. Well, we, yes, we make all those in London as well. And we have a full-time seamstress in the shop who is brilliant and, and with silk. Because my guys are, um, they, 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 they specialize in coat. Heavier fabrics, yeah. Yeah, different fabrics. So you need, you need different manufacturers for different fabrics. And um, so the, the, the dresses are made in, in, a ver- in various different ways um, by various different people, depending on what we need, when we need it. Because the great thing about the, the the factory that I work with is that they now, having gone from making thousands and thousands of units a week, they uh, very sort of quite slowly over the first ten years of working with them, they all their other work started going offshore. So I got a call from from him one day saying, you know, we've decided we're not going to make for anybody else but you now. So I was just getting big enough for them to survive just with me at that point. Um, so that was a kind of, oh my God, that, that's quite pressure. Pressure, yes. I'm responsible for them and their pocket money for their kids and their wives and all. Oh gosh. But, but at the same time, it was like, this is brilliant because I now have, we, we work so closely together that we control each other in a really good way. It's a really sort of symbiotic relationship. So if I need something for a VIP client or whatever in a few hours, they can do that, you know, which, which, um, Nobody can, nobody else can do that unless they own their own factory. So yeah, it's that's a, incredible. So it's a bit like having my own factory, but at the same time, <clears throat> if they lose a machinist or someone's ill from their team, or whatever, it's not my problem. So it's actually the best of both worlds because uh, we very much support each other. And it, there's a Catherine Hooker employee there every day of the week, if not two people. Oh, um, really? That's great. Yeah. So you're always in the factory. Yeah, so it's full transparency. We're talking all day long, back and forth. Um, and and the other fascinating thing about being uh, uh, sort of you know build, building this thing during these last 15, 16 years or whatever it is um, is is the is technology. You know, we're, we're living in a completely different world now to when we started. Everything was done by fax when I started. Lots yeah, of people course. didn't have an email address. You know. So that has just been, you know, every every year there's something that simplifies the, the, the system because it's very bespoke what I do. I mean, we have a ready-to-wear collection, 
but we are sort of the way we we service our customers is it's really intense <clears throat> so so when you say bespoke do you it's not is it made to measure or almost it's, made to it, measure well it's made yes it's more made to measure than bespoke we, we do made to measure we do bespoke and we do ready to wear but but the ready to wear collection is really grown and made to measure is basically when somebody comes in they try it on and that we make a few tweaks you know yeah. to, but you can only go so far with that and depending on someone's shape you might need to go fully bespoke, which is a real process. You know, you've got to go back and forth and back and forth. You, you make a twirl, then you make a pattern to that twirl, then you make another twirl, then you adjust the, the, the twirl, then you adjust the pattern, you go back and forth and back and forth. Because women's bodies are, are very complicated, unlike men. That's why you don't <laughs> find that many women's tailors out there, because they're just, it's, there's, there's too much going on in a complicated area of the body, which is basically the bust. Yeah. Um, and and uh, whereas men are quite easy, most of them are bigger up here than they are down here. And if they are bigger, it's around the belly, which is quite a kind of it's just a circumference, you know, and a bit of balance. Whereas on the on on a woman, you adjust one thing and it throws something else out of balance. So you've got to adjust that and then go back to the other thing and back and forth. Back and forth. So it's a real process, but we do do it. Um, and uh, but. but Made to measure. You can go 80, you can go sort of 90% of the way with made to measure. Right. So have you, you obviously sound really knowledgeable now. Um, I suppose you have after 16 years and you're in the factory all the time. Mm. Would you be able to make a coat yourself from start to finish now, having learned all this over the last 16 years, or is it still not something you get, get so hands-on involved no, in? No, I don't. I, I mean, pattern cutting is a real art. It's like sculpture. You've got to be an artist and a mathematician at the same time. And, and lots of uh, pattern cutters either work in an artistic way or a mathematical way, and very, very few do work in both. Um, and no, it's, I would love to, if I had to do my life again, I'd be a pattern cutter. I would, really? Yeah, I'd go to school and I'd learn how to pattern cut. But it, that's a lifetime. That's a, you know, that is a lifetime of, of studying. And you never, you never get it right. I think that's why you get a lot of tailors who are so obsessed with it. You know, in Savile Row, it takes, you, you, an apprentice will learn how to set in a sleeve for seven years just yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? I remember I did pattern cutting when I studied fashion at college, and I remember I never mastered. Uh, yeah, it's a, a time, full time thing. No, you can't do it and grow a business at the same time. But pattern cutters are my favourite people. You know, like if I, I've got a wonderful pattern cutter working for us at the moment, who, and I'm just obsessed with her because she, she has. I, what I have is an eye, so I can tell immediately if something's right or if it's wrong. And, you know, sometimes I'll work with pattern cutter and I'll look at the final thing and I'll say, but the bottom is wrong. Like, can't you see that the bottom is not, doesn't echo the top or that it doesn't like, you know, it all has to balance together. So I've got, I'm working, I've got a full-time pattern cutter now who does other things as well. And I just, you know, I just love her. She's like, I'm on the phone to her the whole time saying, this is amazing. You've done such a great job. Well done. But then that makes sense because that's why your, your clothes and your jackets in particular are known to have such amazing fit and be really flattering. Because you can't replicate pattern cutting with a machine. No, no, you can't. Not if, no, no. You, you can't. And I've tried doing pattern cutting with a, with a machine when, because I had a girl working for me 
who was also brilliant and she was with me for eight years and then she left. So I thought, well, okay, maybe I can use Gerber um, with the patterns that I've got now. Gerber is like CAD, you know, yeah. for architects. Um, and it's just not, it, you can't, I, I don't think you can apply the same principles to pattern cutting as you can to architecture because, you know, architecture is my, my boyfriend is an architect, you know. So is mine. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> And he has, um, he ha, you know, I, I'm really inspired by what he does. But it's, but I, I say to him, you know, what you do is easy compared to what I have to yes, do. Yes, exactly. And, I, and also, it, you know, clothes they have to be sort of changed regularly, whereas buildings they can be designing a building for five, ten years, can't they? Or, or a thousand years. You yes. Know? <laughs> um, whereas, whereas, you know, you know, we 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 live and die in our clothes, and we mm. grow and we put on weight and we lose weight and we move and we uh, we shift and and we live, you know, in our clothes. So we we both design things for people to live in, but 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 what I what I'm doing is so much more. Um, it, it's just it's alive all the time. Mm. Um, and uh, but I find it fascinating. I mean, I don't. I, I feel like I've just scratched the surface. You know, I feel like I would love to have started doing this when I was really, really young. Um, but anyway, I didn't. So, with um, your fabrics, are they all sourced from UK mills? I know you they use Harris from, Tweed, don't you? Uh, yes, we use Harris Tweed. We source from um, from the UK and Italy and uh, Austria. Right. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, because it, Italians do beautiful designs of tweed. I think I, I prefer a lot of their checks and colours to the UK on the whole. And mm. the Europeans, I mean, the Australians do beautiful solids and melanges, you know, of, of wools and double-sided. We use a lot, we use the Leafried, you know, Loden factory. Um, and uh, so they all, they all have something different. Yes, I agree. You can't sort of put a square peg into a round hole, can you? Sometimes no. a fabric from the UK is appropriate and sometimes... An sometimes it's not. Well. Like the, the, the Europeans t- seem to do softer wools. Like the American, I have a, you know, the business is growing a lot in America because I'm American and, and I'm British and American. Mm. Uh, and uh, the, the Americans like softer they, they prefer more the European than the than the, than the UK wool. Right, the Harris tweed is is too a bit too scratchy. Scr- for yes, I wasn't going to yeah. use the word scratchy, but uh, yeah, yeah, more um, what's the word? Uh, rough. Uh, yes, <laughs> a bit too rough. Yeah, it's it's hardy. Yeah, it's too too hardy. But the Japanese love the Harris tweeds. They love do. Yes, the yeah, absolutely love the Harris tweeds. So how yeah. how important do you think it is to your customers that you manufacture? In London, um, I I think it's really important to some customers, and I think some customers couldn't care less. To be really honest, mm-hmm. um, I think you know more than anything, it's you know I, I'm very much like, why would you manufacture in in a certain way? For me, it's a question of ease and control, to be really honest. I mean, it's, and I think it would have been traditionally as well. When you look at something traditional, it's usually been built like that or made like that because, of, because it just makes sense, not for any sort of sentimental or reason. You know, it just makes, to me, it makes sense to make things here. 
yeah, logistically what you're doing and the bespoke work you're doing, you just couldn't do it if you were still making in India. You couldn't do it and I wouldn't want to do it. It's too, for me, it's too disconnected. It's too, I, what I like is to have everything made here and but the reach of the product is can go to Mars for all I can. You know what I mean? Like I, my, there's no, there's no um, end. There's no limit to where I want my product to go. So when did the shop open? When did you open your shop? It opened immediately because when I, when I, well, almost about six months after I finished that tomato soup commercial in August of 2004, it was, I, um, I decided, right, I'm going to do this. And I went to the States with, I had three, uh, I think I had two jackets and one coat at that point. And that I had by that time in those 18 months had developed. And I developed those with a pattern cutter who was who used to make riding jackets and coats in the 40s. He's now died, sadly. But, um, and he, I went off to America and I did trunk shows, you know, with my family. I had a big show at Soho House, which had just opened. Um, in New York, and my brother was one of the founding members of it, and so he got me a room there, and I had a massive party, and I sold 35 coats in, in an evening. Um, and, oh, brilliant. And, and, I, and I planned a trunk show with a cousin in just outside the city, and then with, and I just, I know Americans, because I've grown up, grown up going back and forth, we used to have a house in Maine and stuff, and um, and so I just thought, well, I know what Americans are like. I'll do a couple and then somebody will come in and say, wow, you should do one at my house and then it'll go on. And it's exactly what happened. I stayed there for two months. I sold about 250 coats and just traveled around with my wares, you know, like a saleswoman. Yeah. Um, and I took 100% of the, of the payment up front and I faxed the orders through to a young girl who was helping me um, by that point. And... She went back and forth to the factory making them and, uh, and uh, sent them. And, and with that money, I came back and I opened a shop. So I did, I did all of this completely on my own. Like I didn't have any money. So I had to think of clever ways to, to get going. So basically the, the customer bankrolled the, the, um, the, the, the beginning of the business by paying 100% up front. Which and is quite been, unusual. Um, very unusual, but there's no other way I could do it. I, I didn't even think about it. I didn't, I didn't even think, you know, about the 50. I didn't even know about the 50% thing. Most, and every now and then a customer said, well, normally I would pay 50% up front. I was like, I can't do that. And they said that, you know, it was like, oh, okay. You know, but they, obviously, they obviously thought your coats were worth waiting for, didn't they? Yeah, yeah they, exactly. And, and also, you know, if they, if they were like, well, what if I'm not happy with it? If, I said, well, if I'm not happy, if you're not happy with it, I'm definitely not happy. So, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sort it out. 100%. So that's, that's the way I've always done it. Just because, again, you know, that just makes sense to me. Mm. Um, so, do, so is the majority of your um, your business, is it export? And are you seeing that growing? Uh, yes, that's definitely grown. Um, uh, yes, that is over the last couple of years, I don't know if Brexit's got anything to do with it, but but um, I think I'm very glad that I have been really working hard at the American market all these years because I've gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. I've really, really worked really hard. I used to have four people working for me over in America at one point, um, and we've covered a huge amount of ground. So now, now, now I do the shows in America. I go off and I go on these incredible three-month road trips, um, which I absolutely love. 
and um, and and so the, the 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 online sales are really growing. It's like a kind of you know we have to work on all of it, but online sales in the US I think is our second, almost as much as we sell in the UK. Really, we're yeah. selling to twenty-seven different countries now. And who would you most like to see wearing Catherine Hooker a Catherine Hooker coat? Who would I like most like to see wearing a Catherine Hooker coat? Hmm. Oh God. Or who do you oh. think should be should be buying British made clothing that currently doesn't? Uh, everybody. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, we we have a great relationship with a Japanese um, uh, little chain of Japanese shops in the UK, British luxury brand goods. Who have shops called Vulcanized London, and that is really. We, they invited me out there last year to do a little series of events, which was brilliant. Um, and they are falling in love with our men's. We have a little men's wear collection, just three jackets. And they love those. And that they're, they're going to add some men's wear collection, you know, the Harris tweeds and stuff to their line this year, which is really exciting. Um, uh, I, I presume you have to make a completely different fit for the Japanese. Yeah, we've, uh, well, yeah. yes. But, but, but you see, because we're so set up for that, it's not a problem at all. It's easy for us to do that. So most people would not be able to do that, but we can easily say, right, for your, for your um, you know, Tory coats, we'll, we'll raise the waist a bit and make them a bit shorter and shorten the sleeves. No problem. It's not, a, it, 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 it's not, we do that anyway for our individual customers. Yeah, of course. So it's perfect, so isn't it? It's easy to apply the same principles to a big order. What an amazing journey you've been on in the last yeah. 16 years. So it is you- amazing. It's very, it's been very, very organic. You know, it hasn't, it's just, so it's exciting. And if you were to do it all, so say you were starting again in 2019. Yeah. What would you, what advice would you give yourself had you been starting up now rather than all those um, God, I really don't know. It's such a personal journey as well, this kind of thing. You know, when you when you start your own business at a certain age and you're doing it because you you really want to um, jump into something with all you have, um, it is a really personal journey. So for that reason, it really can't be any other way than how it's been, which mm. is great because you don't have any regrets. I never look back and think, God, I wish I hadn't got involved in that person or I wish I hadn't you know, done this or that because every single thing I've done, I have learned so much from. Yeah. You know, I've really learned so much from. And I think you know, there are failures and there are successes and what that teaches you, what that's taught me is to be, you know, is to, is to find some kind of balance between being cautious and open and, you know, humble and, you know, let go, hold on, um, cling on, let it go, you know, it, timing, it, not to be afraid, I think. Yeah. I'm always afraid. I'm, I'm, I'm always, whenever I have a good team, which I have at the moment, instead of thinking, God, this is great, I've got a great team, I'm thinking, oh my God, I've got to make the most of this because I'm going to get pregnant or have a baby or get married or move or... And, so, but I keep having to say to myself, just enjoy it, just enjoy it while, while it lasts. But I'm, I'm always like, what's going to, I'm always anticipating 
Well, I'm thinking, so if you you only work with one main manufacturer for your coats, what is your contingency plan there? You must be thinking, oh gosh, what if they, you know, decide to retire? I I absolutely do. I mean, I have a wonderful mentor in the States who, um, who said, you have to get another manufacturer. You cannot, you know, just work with one. But then, you know, every, every situation has its vulnerabilities. Every situation. There is no, no a situation that you can have that is not vulnerable in some way. And I think this is the least vulnerable. And the best thing about these guys is that they're younger than me. <laughs> and, and I, when I first started working with them, and I know them now, I know them through their marriages, their, their, their children, their, you know, We've been together for a long time, so they invite us to all their weddings. And and um, the, the minute I laid eyes on the two guys who who basically have, have now are now running it, was that they were younger than me. And I was like, good, great. <laughs> I was forty when I I think I was thirty eight when I first met them, and they were like in their twenties, you know, yeah. early 20s, lads, you know. And I was just like, this is good, this is good. I don't want to anyone older than me because you know I can. By the time I've sort of, you know, shuffled off to, um, you know, do something a bit quieter or whatever, uh, there'll be somebody, you know, the fire will still be burning strong because they are so... Brilliant. Well, that's just fantastic to hear as well about manufacturers because so often I interview people or I talk, they say, oh, you know, text, the textile industry and people making clothes in the UK, they're all getting old and they're all dying. But, you know, there are young people running. There are young people. There yeah. are young people. And, you know, this pattern cutter that I was telling you about who is, who is so great, loves being at the factory. She was a fashion student, but she comes to the shop once a week, which is good because she likes kind of getting connected to the customers as well. But her favorite place is being in the factory and, 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 you know, working with textiles and she's young, you know? So I know, I think the young generation, um, have, are going to do some really, really, really interesting things. I'm so excited about yeah, that. So do I. Catherine, yeah. that was brilliant. You're, um, thank you very much for your time today. For anyone listening to this that wants to find you, um, what's the best place? What's your website address? And I'll pop that in the podcast show notes. Yes, the website is katherinehooker.com. Brilliant. And your shop? That's important because some people think it's with Catherine with a K and an E, katherinehooker.com. And I'll put the links to all of that in the show notes for the podcast as well as the address for your shop. How often are you in the shop? I try and be there as much as I can, um, but I travel so much that, mm. um, that you know, if, if I need to be there, I'll make sure I'm there. I'm on, on my way there now because I want to see um, a couple of customers who are coming. Um, but I, I work from home a lot as well and I travel like a mad woman. So. Well, I'll have to come in and see you in the shop one day and get myself fitted for a, a decent coat. <laughs> oh, I would love that. I would love Brilliant. that. Brilliant. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. The next event is taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London. With over 200 exhibitors, inspiring talks just like the ones you've been listening to on this podcast and interactive workshops, 
it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive again. Registration is now open. Just go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register to register for a free ticket. If you're a British-made manufacturer or brand and want to find out how your business can benefit from being involved in the show, just visit makeitbritishlive.com forward slash exhibit, fill out a short questionnaire and one of my team will get straight back to you. To reach out to me personally, the best place to do this is via LinkedIn. Just look up Kate Hills and you'll find me. You'll also find me on Twitter at Make It British and Instagram at Make It British too. For all show notes for these podcasts, just go to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash podcast and you'll find all the details. And make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing in iTunes, Stitcher or whichever is your preferred podcast app. And I really would love it if you left me a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye.